We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 tonight. We have finally made it through the Lord's model of prayer that He's been teaching here in this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we spent many weeks going verse by verse to these petitions, and we finally finished it up last week, and I hope that we have put it to practical use, that we have a model that He's taught us um, that how to pray, and um, hope that we have uh, been able to grow in our prayer life as a result of this. And um, But the Sermon on the Mount is still... Uh, there's still a lot ahead of us. We still have the rest of chapter 6 to finish. We have chapter 7 to finish. Um, so there's only one way we can finish it. We continue to press forward, and, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit. We're going to cover verses 14 through 24, uh, which will um, just leave a little bit of a section. Hopefully we will finish chapter 6 by the ending of next week, our next uh, Wednesday night service. So that's the plan. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll start in verse 14. Let's read this and let's see what the Lord continues to teach. Remember, this is His sermon. This is His words. So let us hear them as such. Here's what it says. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate this, the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. These are the words of our Lord. Such great wisdom, such great truth here. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the depths of this truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, to open your word and to know we are opening truth that we are reading truth, that we are hearing truth, because your word is truth, and that is how we are to be sanctified. Lord, we thank you for this sermon that you have been preaching. We thank you for what we've learned already, and we pray that tonight, Lord, we would continue to, to grow in our knowledge of you. Lord, we need God the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our souls, to open our minds to understand these truths. 
And Lord, we pray that. We pray that you would bring us to a greater knowledge of you. Lord, that it would lead to a greater worship of you. And it would also lead to greater sanctification in our life, which is your will for us. So we ask these things humbly. We ask these things dependent upon you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 12 of Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer model here, we see this passage, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we spent a little bit of time talking about how we are to forgive like Christ. And Christ, once He forgives us, He pardons us, but then He does not hold that sin against our account. He doesn't dangle it over our heads and and then throw it back in our face later. And we found that in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, where He doesn't hold it to our account and He doesn't forget it. The Bible tells that he forgets our sins, but not in the sense that we may think because he's an omniscient God and he doesn't get amnesia or dementia and forget things. What is meant by he forgets our sins is that he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore to our account. And that is the way that we are to forgive others, that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. But he says here that you're to forgive others so that your father will forgive you. This is not teaching that once we are, and we know that once we are Christians and and He justifies us, He declares us legally righteous before uh, God Almighty, before Himself. And He doesn't then come and say, well, you didn't forgive that person today, so then all your forgiveness is pulled away and I'm revoking this salvation. And that's not what He's meaning here. That's not what the view is at all, that our sins are forgiven. They are covered by the blood of Christ. His atonement, Romans 8 is very clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. We know all those things that we've labored on for so long. But there is uh, multiple verses in the Bible and, and the teachings of Christ himself that he says that we are to be in a state of repentance. If you remember on the 95 Theses, uh, the first order of business, the first one that Luther had put on there, that as Christians, we are to live in a state of constant repentance. And we are to keep the, the fruit of repentance is what John the Baptist tells them as they come to see him. He tells the Pharisees that we are called to repent of our sin. We are called to seek forgiveness for our sin daily when we stumble and we fall. Because it is a cleansing. It is, sin impacts our fellowship with our Creator. If there's sin in your life unresolved, it can affect every aspect of our life. It can affect our prayer life. It can affect our witnessing. It can affect everything. So we're to constantly seek God's forgiveness to show that we, uh, we love His commands. We want to please Him. Sanctification is important to us. We want to obey Christ, but when we stumble and we fall, we are to be humble, we are to be contrite, we are to seek forgiveness on this daily basis so that our fellowship with Him is not impacted. And I think this is the thrust of this verse, of these verses where He's saying, listen, forgive others as Christ forgave you. They may not deserve it, but you forgive them. And then don't hold it over their head. And if you don't forgive someone who's wronged you, then your fellowship can be impacted with Christ as it affects every aspect of our life. And that 
Forgiveness needs to be extended to us, so then we are to extend it toward others. Unforgiveness will affect your fellowship with God. And we are to forgive like Christ in all aspects. You know, and it's truth, and, and, and this is not always the case when we look out at our lives and we look out at professing Christians. Do you know who the most forgiving people on planet Earth should be? Christians. Do you know who a lot of times are the least forgiving people on planet Earth? Christians. And there's a sad problem. If you're a Christian, you've been forgiven of the most. Think about what you have been forgiven of. All your sins forgiven and covered. So quickly we forget how undeserving we are of forgiveness. How quickly we forget of what Christ has forgiven upon us. And so often we don't extend that same mercy and forgiveness toward others. But Christ himself teaches that should never be the case. Look what Ephesians chapter 4 verses 31 through 32 says. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You want to know how you're supposed to forgive people? Look to how Christ forgave you and then copy that. Let us be a forgiving people because we've been forgiven of the most. He goes on to verse 16, and what he's going to do here in verses 16 through 18, he's going to pick up a theme that we saw earlier in chapter 6. Do you remember how chapter 6 started? He began to teach in chapter 6, although there was no chapter 6, he began to teach in this section of his sermon on how that our attitudes and our motives are to be when we pray and when we give. And if you remember, the Pharisees, the scribes there, they were, they were giving to be seen. They would stand in the, in the most public places and they would give and they would try to draw all this attention to them to be seen by men, to be noticed by men so that men would pat them on the back so they would look religious. And they would do the same thing when they prayed. They would stand in the, in the synagogues. They would stand on the street corners and they would pray loud, long prayers so that they could be seen, that they would receive praise from men. And Jesus tells his listeners here, don't be like them. Don't be like them. When you give, you give in the most secretive way you can give. Not for your glory, but so that God would be glorified in your giving. And when you pray, do not make it all about you. Do not stand out there so people can see you. Now, there are times we pray in public, we pray here in church. That's not the point of this text. What he's saying is that they were praying to be seen so that people would think they were religious, but their prayers were empty and hollow and vain, and they were not pleasing to God. If you remember a few Sundays ago, we talked about the prayers that are offered up that are not from the believer. They're an abomination to God. These prayers that they were offering were an abomination to God. But they were doing it to be seen. He said, they're hypocrites. Don't be like them. And now he's going to take praying and giving and, and to do that in a, the proper way. And he's going to now add fasting in on it. And, you know, fasting is something that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot in churches today, I don't think. We, we've not spent a lot of time on it. 
the text that we have got to hasn't mentioned it a lot, but you know, those are one of the, uh, that's one of the topics that's very uh, not easy, not pleasant, causes you to have to be self-denying sometimes, all of us, and that's tough. But the Bible does teach us that we are to fast. We find it in the Old Testament. We find it in the New Testament. And we have Jesus himself telling us when you fast. The question is, when's the last time we fasted? It's not a matter of if we are supposed to. The question is, how often and what are the motives for our fasting? Well, these Pharisees, they were fasting. They fasted all the time. They, they loved to fast. You know why they loved to fast? Because they had selfish desires in their fasting. They wanted people to see them fast so that they would be considered the elite. Look how, look how pious they are. Look how sacrificial they are to God. Look how far they'll deny themselves to seek the things of God. And all along, all they wanted was accolades. People didn't know that, but God did. We know that God looks at the heart. He looks at the motives. He knows why we do things. Look what he says. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. They wanted to look like they were having the most miserable time in their life, and they would want to know, they would want everybody to know why that, that they looked so rough, why they were acting the way they were so that they could tell everybody, we're fasting. They would neglect their appearance to make it look like they were so distraught. So much sacrifice was being put into this. They, they couldn't keep up with their appearance. They would walk around with faces hitting the floor so that people would say, why are you so down? Just fasting today, it's so tough. All the fasting that I do. They wanted to be seen by men. They wanted to be noticed by men. And they weren't fasting for the right reasons. These people weren't even believers. They were fasting for their own self-glory instead of the glory of God. When we are to fast, we are to deny ourselves and seek God in prayer and worship. It's about Him. And they were making it about themselves. So we see praying and giving and fasting. He brings all these together and he says, listen, he knows the motives. It's all about the motives. It's not about glory of men, but it's about glory to God. This is what he's teaching in these, these different aspects of our Christian life. And these, these instructions go to us today. Let us maybe consider when's the last time we fasted? You know, when we fast, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? It's kind of like, it's just human nature. If you're fasting from food, I mean, you could go all, if you weren't fasting, you could go all day long, one or two o'clock, you're like, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm not going to eat anything all day. It's going to be good. You're fine because you know you can eat or you, you know, there's not a temptation not to eat. But as soon as you're like, you know, I'm going to fast today. It's like 830. You're like, I can't do it. It's too much. 
But you know, we're to be private in our fasting. I mean, I should fast and Taylor not even know I'm fasting. Now she may have to find out and she tells me that supper's ready or if she's gotten Mackey's pizza and she's like, you hungry? You want some? Mm-mm. She's going to know something's wrong, but to the best of our ability, we're to not present and show that we're fasting because it's to the glory of God that we're doing it. And then he goes on to finish this section of scriptures, verses 19 through 24. He's going to talk about treasures. He's going to talk about wealth. He's going to talk about greed. And he's going to talk about what our attitude as Christians should be in regard to these things. Here's what he says in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. We as Christians are commanded here to not store up our treasures here on earth you know, one day that he will come with his angels and he'll come in, a, in fire and he will destroy and, and it will be a new heaven and a new earth. And everything that we see here is temporal. It will be done away with. This is not our home as we know it. And he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. These things of the world are perishable. They will be done away with. However, in heaven, we know that these treasures are eternal. So what are these treasures that we're looking for? You know, the Bible it tells us that we are either storing up treasures in heaven, the believers to store up treasures in heaven, but the unbelievers also storing things up. So we're storing one of two things up. If you are a believer, you're to store up treasures in heaven. But if you're an unbeliever, Romans chapter 2 tells us that they are storing up wrath against that day. Can you imagine the thought of that? And the Bible teaches that to the unbeliever, every sin that they commit, they're just storing it up, laying it one on top of the other. We're storing up treasures for our eternal home and they're storing up wrath for their eternal place of judgment. The weight of sin is absolutely enormous. And every sin is being stored up against that day. Every sin will come into judgment if you're a believer, it's coming to judgment upon Christ. Or if you're not, it's, you're going to have to pay the judgment and the, the penalty for that, which is immutable wrath for all eternity. I heard it said, and I don't remember who it said it, but it, the quote was that every person in hell would have wished they committed less, one less sin because of the immutable wrath of God being perfectly and righteously, His judgment being poured out based on our, their sins. 
storing up wrath against that day or storing up treasures in heaven. You know, the Bible teaches us uh, about treasures in heaven. How do we store up treasures? If the, if the lost person is storing up wrath and we're storing up treasures, what does this mean? Well, the scripture does teach, and, and we won't get into this, we could, not tonight, but the Bible does indicate that there will be rewards in heaven, storing up treasures in heaven. And this is not for meritorious salvation uh, rewarding. We're not saved by works. Uh, we know it is the works of Christ. It is by faith alone in his works that we are saved and we're justified. These rewards are, have nothing to do with our salvation. But it does teach that based on our obedience, based on our lives, that there would be rewards in heaven. Augustine said this, In crowning our merits, God is crowning his own gifts. God graciously gives us gifts. He changes our souls, brings us to obedience to Him, and in rewarding our merits, He's crowning His own gifts and His own mercy. So we're to be obedient to God. We're to keep our eyes on the eternal. We are to be obedient because we love Him, because we're called, and, and we are to be pre, uh, conformed to the image of His Son. That's what we're predestined to do. And His will is sanctification. And we are to store up treasures in that regard. Look for our eternal home. But then we also see the kingdom of heaven as a treasure that is awaiting for us in our eternal state. Listen to what Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46 says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the treasure. This is the pearl of great price. This is our eternal home. Not only are we storing up treasures in our obedience, but we have a treasure in the kingdom of heaven that we are awaiting and the greatest treasure we have in heaven is God Himself. As we will see Him as He is in His true being, we will dwell with Him forever. And the Bible tells us that here on the earth, moth and rust destroy and thieves steal, or they, they steal and they break in. I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen from you before. It's kind of unnerving, isn't it? I remember that when I was living at home, Got up to go to school one day and took off and didn't think anything about anything. Nothing looked out of the ordinary. I get a call a little bit later. It's from my dad. And he said, what'd you do with my truck? I said, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. He says, where'd you hide my truck? And I said, I still don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I can't find my truck. Listen, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big treasure, but he bought this truck in 1988. I remember I was five years old. I can remember go, I, just weird. I remember this day, bought the truck, had 200,000 plus miles on it. It's the only truck I ever remember from my memory, driving in it. We went to, went to breakfast in it. We went to everywhere together in it. We went everywhere in this truck. And come to find out, 
some people that came up in the middle of the night and out of the driveway stole this truck. Ransacked it. Took almost everything out of it except for there was one thing they didn't take out of it. Can you guess what that was? The Bible. They left the Bible. Ironic on that story, they found the truck down around Vienna. They figured out who did it. About four or five years later, we were on the interstate driving, and we just happened to get passed by this semi-truck hauling some old cars, and I look over, and my dad's truck is flying right by me. The windows have been painted. The Jesus sticker's still there. But that's an unnerving feeling to think that someone came and took what was yours. We have great treasures in this world, we think. I, speaking of cars, I, listen, the Prius is getting old. It's starting to fall apart. Rust will ensue. But this isn't where our treasures are. If you're a Christian, you've got a promise. No matter what we work for, no matter what we focus on, no matter about the worldly pleasures and the, the temporal things, you know, we live in a society that says more, 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 more. And people treasure so many things on this earth. But this is not where our treasure is. Someone could take your treasure. Someone could steal your treasure. It could deteriorate. It could rust. It could Anything could be done to this. But as a Christian, we are not supposed to have our eyes and our minds on this temporal stuff, this perishable world, because we are promised that the treasure that we are holding on to, it never rusts. It never fades. And no one will ever take your treasure your inheritance is guaranteed in the Lord. It's in the best hands in the universe, the hands that created the universe, the hands that died for his sheep on the cross. These are the hands that are guarding your inheritance and your treasure. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5. through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, parentheses, because you can't make yourself be born again. But according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to verse four, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in that time. Is there anything here on this earth that can compare to the eternal inheritance that we have, to the treasures that wait for us one day? The most poor Christian in the world's eyes is so much more wealthy than any lost person in this world. Because their inheritance is unimaginable. It's priceless. It's precious. And I love this verse 4. 
where it says to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, comma, reserved in heaven for you. It's there waiting for you. No one's going to come and take it. There's not going to be a thief come and steal it. It's never going to lose its value. It's never going to deteriorate. Your eternal treasure is waiting for you. It's reserved for you. It's reserved for His elect. It's reserved as we speak. That is the comfort that we have. That is why we set our eyes upon our eternal treasure, not on these temporal treasures of the world. And what's even more beautiful is verse 5 that says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Basically what that is saying is this. Not only is your treasure right now being reserved for you, but because God holds His sheep, His sheep persevere. Not only is your inheritance being reserved for you, but you are being reserved and kept for your inheritance. That's beautiful. He's keeping your inheritance for you, and He's keeping you for your inheritance by the power of God through faith. What an inheritance we have. Believers are to store up treasures in heaven. As we said, the lost are storing up treasures, are not storing up treasures in heaven, but wrath against that day. That's found in Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And we look at Luke chapter 12 as this parable, as Jesus begins to speak on the vanity of these worldly possessions. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, it says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You could have everything. Your possessions could be overflowing out of your ears. You could have every material thing that money could buy. And even in that, not for one second does your life consist of all your possessions. Because the Christian has a treasure they're looking for. An inheritance that they're looking for. The treasure is not here. It's in heaven that we're to be looking to. He says, and he told a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? <laughs> got too much stuff. Don't got enough room. That sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? What shall I do? Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. They're storing up treasures here on earth. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But listen to verse 20, the terrifying words that come out of the Lord's mouth. 
But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? The rich man was storing up treasures here. This man was storing up for his future. Didn't have enough room for it. So he thought, I'll just build a bigger barn so I can have more room to store things. But what he didn't know, that the next night, or this night, this very night, his soul was going to be required. And now he was going to come and face God Almighty. And now who will own what you have prepared? You know what this man would know at the moment his soul was required? That there was nothing that was worth exchanging his soul for. You remember the rich young ruler who was asking about following Christ, then Christ tells him to go sell all that he has and follow him, but he couldn't do it because he had so many possessions. You see, to the world, they have, to the, to the, un, to the, the one who's not saved, to the, to the non-believer, to the non-elect, they, their, their eyes have to be here because this is their heaven. This is as good as it gets. All this earth that is full of heartache and destruction and sin and terrorism and heartache and murder and thievery and everything that we see in the world today, this is the lost one's paradise because it only gets worse. This is as good as life will ever be. It only gets worse. So all their attention, all their focus is on the treasures here and now. But the Christian... You're supposed to know that this is temporal and the greatest treasure that there is we have. This stuff is meaningless. If you die, someone else is going to get it. Doesn't mean anything. And to the lost person, this is where their focus is. And the Christian is supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven. But if we're not careful, our eyes will start to maybe lose focus on the treasures in heaven to the eternal things, and if we're not careful, we're very tempted to then look at the possessions and the treasures of this world to which we can easily stumble and lose sight of what he's teaching. Verse 21, it says, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And he goes down at the ending of this in verse 34, and he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And we're to continue to focus and store up for where our treasure is. You see, one's treasure will reveal the status of the heart. He goes on to tell us in verse 22, well, verse 21 of this is the exact same language that we found in that parable in Luke 12. He says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If your soul is required of you tonight, will your possessions mean anything? 
If your soul is required of you, will anything matter? No, it will not. It will only be the eternal things that matter. Your works here on earth will be rewarded in heaven. You're storing up treasures that way, but your inheritance is waiting for you, and that's all that matters. Let us keep our eyes on that. Verse 22, he begins to give an analogy, and he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You know, the Jews would believe that the eye is the window to the soul. So what is he saying here? That's, what is this analogy that he's saying about this eye that is clear and this eye that is good and well, we know that we're in the previous verses and the, verses, the verse that is going to follow, it's all about where our attention is, where our gaze is. Is it on the treasures of this world or is it on our eternal treasures? And what he's saying here is this. As a Christian, our eyes have been opened to spiritual truths. We have a treasure that is awaiting us and we are to keep our eyes on that and when we keep our eyes on the eternal things and we keep our eyes upon the treasures that await us, then the light of God's word and the light of God's truth will illumine our hearts and we will be living as God has told us to live, walking in the light of his word and his commands. But when our eyes start to gaze upon the treasures and the, the possessions of this world and we we shift our eyes from the treasures and the eternal things in heaven, and we begin to look at the things that are down here, then that can start to contaminate our attitudes and our souls. If you look upon the eternal things in your soul as a Christian, will be illuminated by the light of God and His truth and the things that are eternal. But if we begin to look towards the worldly things, one eye towards the heavenly things, one eye towards the worldly things, then the darkness and the sinful uh, desires that can be accompanied with those things can creep into our soul and become dark. And to the one who is not a Christian, their soul is completely dark and they will never look to heaven and the treasures because that's not reserved for them. And I find it very interesting here that when you go to the, to the Greek word here, where it says, if your eye is bad, I'm sorry, excuse me, verse 22, it says, so then if your eye is clear. Some translations say some other things. If you say is your eye is evil, or if your eye is single. Remember, he's giving this message to the believers. He's giving this to his disciples on the mountain here. And this word clear coming into the Greek is hapless. And it's interesting what this word means. It means properly, healthy, whole, unfolded, single. Literally without folds, referring to a single, undivided focus, not with a double agenda. The antonym of this word is double. So what is he saying? As a Christian, we are to have a single focus, and it is on the eternal things. The eternal treasures, our inheritance. We're not to be double visioned. We're not to have one eye on the heavenly things and then get distracted by the treasures of this world. Because when we begin to do that, we have a tendency to stumble and be corrupted by sinful desires, greed, 
covetousness. All these things can fill our heart if we begin to look at the worldly treasures and the wealth and the possessions of this world. Have we ever done that? Have we ever been double in our vision? One eye on the kingdom of heaven, one eye on the covetous things that we see. He says, let your eye be clear. Let it be single. Gaze upon the things that God tells us to gaze upon. Know this world is not our home. But keep looking forward to heaven, to our treasures that we have there. The Bible also tells us that we are to be givers. We are to willingly and and to help and to give to those in need. And when we are double-visioned, when we have our eyes grounded and rooted in the things of the world and we become covetous and greedy on wealth, then it becomes very hard for us to let go and to give as God tells us to give. It's impacted when we are not focused on the heavenly treasures, but focused on the earthly treasures. Listen to some of these verses. Proverbs 28, verse 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. Again, he says, let your eye be good. Look upon the good things, the the heavenly things, the heavenly treasures. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come after him. You want more. You want greedy. You'll be more covetous. Again, where is your gaze is what he's saying here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. I bet we've heard this before. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take, so cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these things, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, While we look not at the things which are seen, look around you today, look at all the possessions, look at all the treasures, look at all the things in the world. If you can see them, the Bible says they are temporal. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And we're to keep our gaze upon the things that are heavenly and eternal. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. When our eyes are open and he causes us to be go from spiritual blindness to spiritual light, then we will see that the riches of our inheritance and the glory of God is not here, but it is waiting for us. Remember what one of the Ten Commandments is, that shall not covet. And when our eyes are fixed upon the worldly things, it's easy for us to get to that point and trip ourselves up. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having things. But if they take priority over God, then that has become an idol. We live in a world that this is the agenda that's pushed. But as Christians, we have our marching orders from heaven, from the eternal God. And our attitude on wealth, money, material things can really see the true condition of our hearts. Where is your gaze? Where is my gaze? I mean, think about it. Think about the things that we treasure in life. We treasure, we treasure fame. When we're young, 
Maybe we're athletic. Maybe you win some trophies. Maybe you have some notoriety. But then you get older. And then you lay floor for two days and you can't move. You know what I'm saying? Your body will break down. You can have the nicest thing in the world. They're going to fade. These pages are getting worn out. The binding on the cover is going to fade one day. The words inside it will not. Everything we have. You can have your favorite pair of pants. Wait long enough. They'll get some holes. And then they'll be in style. But they're fading. Everything we have fades. In the world standards, you may not have anything. If you're a Christian, you've got everything. Why were we so worried about the things of this world? He says, set your affections on things above. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven with your obedience and know that your eternal inheritance is waiting for you. That's our hope. Our hope is glory. Our hope is in Him. That's the true treasure that we have. That's the pearl of great price. If you're a Christian, you've got the greatest treasure that any creature could ever have. Why would we not look to that? Why would we not rejoice in that? And what else would we need that would be t- take priority over that? We've all stumbled and fallen with this. We all have to guard our hearts from covetousness and worldly things. But these are the words of our God. You can have everything fall apart. You can have everything stolen. But your inheritance is not going to be stolen. And your treasures are not going to be stolen either. Look what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know what's crazy is that you look upon TV, you look at the prosperity gospel, and it's an absolute contradiction to everything that the Bible teaches. Doesn't it say, what does it say? You can't serve money and wealth and God. They're incompatible. But... That's not what's being taught in a lot of churches today. Look what Luke 16, verses 13, verse 13 says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He repeats it again. And we'd already mentioned about the rich young ruler, that he loved his possessions. He loved his worldly stuff more than God. This is a sobering reality of what God desires from His people. If we're not careful, we get our eyes easily distracted on this world. And He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here where moth and rust come and destroy and thieves steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You want to store up some treasures? Start being more obedient to God. That's more important than any possession we have. Obedience to God. 
as we're storing up treasures and rewards for our obedience. And we are to keep our eyes fixed upon our treasure in heaven, our inheritance. Every Christian has the most precious and priceless treasures that any creature could ever have. Salvation, eternal life, dwelling with God, an inheritance in our eternal home, in a world that values and seeks after wealth and material things. Let us keep our gaze fixed upon the kingdom of heaven where our treasures are being stored up. I know that we've seen this, that you've seen these pirates and you see these treasure maps. And what do we know marks the spot? X marks the spot to find the treasure. Do you know that we have a treasure map? Isn't that amazing? That you and I tonight, as we sit here today, say, <laughs> that's a contradiction, as we tonight sit here, you have a treasure map in front of you in the Word of God. And if you read it, it'll tell you where to find the treasure and what that treasure is. It is the map. It is the light that guides us to that treasure. We know exactly where the treasure's found. The map we have is God's holy word, and we know exactly where our treasure's located. Our treasure is found in Christ and the kingdom of God to where our treasures are being stored up and kept right now. So let us persevere. Let us get our focus right. Let us persevere following the map of God's Word with our eyes fixed upon our eternal home. Let us grow in obedience as we're storing up treasures in that way also. And here's the one thing that you need to know that we need to walk away from tonight knowing this. That we are to keep persevering. You may go home tonight and everything you ever had I may go home tonight, our house be burnt to a crisp. Every sermon I've ever preached could be burnt. Every picture that I've ever had that meant something to me could be gone. Everything that my grandparents have passed on down that we have could be gone. Everything that I've ever held dear to me could be gone. I've still got the greatest treasure in the world. So let us persevere. If we have nothing in this world, we continue to follow the map of God's Word. And one day we will come to that treasure when we enter our eternal home. And we will reap the bounty of those treasures forever and ever. And you know what you can know tonight as you go to sleep? You don't know if everything you've got is going to be taken away. You don't know that. You don't know the future. But I promise you this, that you do know. That as we gaze upon the treasures in heaven and we gaze upon our inheritance and we put our thoughts and our eyes and our minds towards that, here's the comfort that we have tonight as we sleep. That your treasures in heaven, that inheritance that He promised you, no one's going to touch it. No one's going to come and steal it out of God omnipotent's hands. 
Your treasure in heaven is secure. It's never going to rust. It's never going to fade. And you've got the greatest hands in the universe guarding your treasure and your inheritance. The hands that hold all the universe in them. And the hands that died, nailed to a cross for his sheep. He's guarding you for your inheritance. And he's guarding your inheritance and your treasure for you tonight. So let us store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Because as Jesus tells us tonight, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just pray that we are convicted by your words, convicted by your truths. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for any time we've been covetous, for the times that we put more emphasis on the treasures of this world than upon you. Lord, for any time that we may consider and think for a moment that the treasures of this world are of more value than the things of eternity. God, that's absolutely ridiculous for us to think. So, Father, please help us to never think that again. God, please remove all the covetousness out of our hearts. Father, let us not be consumed with the treasures of this world because they are temporal and they can't hold a light to you. You are our treasure. Lord, you have an inheritance that you are keeping for us. Let us never lose sight of that as we walk through this, uh, this world and in this life. Lord, let us desire obedience as we're storing up treasures in heaven in that way. Let Lord, let our minds be changed tonight. Let our hearts be changed. Let our eyes not be double-minded, not have double vision, one eye on the things of your kingdom and one eye on the treasures here, but God, let our eyes be shifted to you and your kingdom and those treasures. And Lord, thank you that you would even bless us and grant us these things that we are so unworthy of. We're unworthy of everything, let alone the treasures and the inheritance that you've promised and that you're reserving for us. Lord, let us know that we can trust you. And if everything that we have is stripped away from us, taken away from us by your sovereign hand, then we still got everything. We still got the greatest treasures in the world. So please help us to understand that tonight. And Lord, we cannot wait till that day so we can experience these treasures with you. 
Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.